Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to season two. Thank you so, so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed season one and learned a little bit about reading comprehension, what you should be doing with your students, some activities that you can do to help grow those strategies into reading skills. And I appreciate you being back to learn a little bit about spelling. Whenever I recorded season one, I sat down and recorded all of the episodes in about three or four days. And I liked that because then I knew I told it in a sequence that made sense. I didn't have to go back and refresh myself on this or that, or how did I say that? What do I want to say for this? It was just all done in one big, big chunk. And I wanted to do the same for season two. So I'll be honest, the last probably three weekends, I've been telling myself, I'm going to record, I'm going to record, I'm going to record. But spelling is such a big, big topic that I was struggling with, like, how do I say enough without saying too much to be overwhelming? How do I break this up? Should we talk about decoding before we talk about encoding? What the heck should we do here? And so finally, It was like, Amanda, shut up, record the episodes, move on. And if people have questions, they can email you. So that's what I want to invite you to do. If at any point in this season, you're like, whoa, sister, I think you skipped a whole big chunk of information, or I think I'm lacking in my decoding knowledge, or I'm lacking in whatever, I have questions Will you please email me those questions? And my email address is the primary gal, the primary gal, G A L, at gmail.com. And then, if needed, I mean, depending on what questions we have, or um, I'm not going to do a QA of questions that were answered in episode three, but you emailed after episode one or, or whatever. But I invite you to send me some questions. That away, I can just do a Q&A episode at the very end to kind of wrap things up. If that's not necessary and I do just such a fabulous job of it explaining everything, then maybe that's not necessary. However, if it is needed because this is such a big, big topic, then that's okay. I'll do a Q&A episode at the end. So here's what you can expect throughout the season. We're going to talk about all the emes, the phonemes, the graphemes, the morphemes. We're going to talk about all the awarenesses, phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, orthographic, morphological awareness. We're going to talk about blending, segmenting, vowels, syllables. We're going to talk about kind of the progression that children take as they are learning to spell, um, especially learning to spell independently. That's obviously always the goal. Um, So we're going to talk about a lot of things, and I know that can be overwhelming. So feel free to shoot me an email if you have questions and hopefully I'll answer them in later episodes, but if not, then that's okay. 
In this episode, we are going to cover three big topics. The first is textbook spelling. When should you use it? When should you toss it? What are some pros and cons? What kinds of things can you ask yourself so that you can decide, is textbook spelling good or bad for my students? We're also gonna talk about what teachers don't know and some big areas of weakness in ourselves that really can affect our students in becoming better readers and spellers. And we're gonna wrap up with talking about some research-based strategies that you can use with your students who are struggling with spelling or who need a little intervention or support in the area of spelling. You know how much I love quotes. So before we dive headfirst into all things spelling, I'd like to read a quote to you from the book, Speech to Print. In the introduction, Louisa Cook Motes says, Linguists, speech language teachers, actors, singers, and anthropologists are among those professionals who study the forms and functions of language. Curiously, teachers seldom do. Even though the listening, speaking, reading, and writing proficiencies touted in our academic standards require language proficiency. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a problem. Why is it that actors and singers and anthropologists have a better understanding of our language than teachers who are teaching kids to read, write, and spell every single day? Um, Not to like tell on myself, but a few years ago, I went to Orton-Gillingham training and was like literally mind blown repeatedly about various spelling rules that I had no idea existed. I literally love to write. I mean, like, but whether it's my blog, whether it's stories for uh, the reading series or other TPT products, I love to write. I consider myself like an average speller. I'm not great, but when I compare myself to other people, you know, on Facebook, I'm pretty good. Um, So I feel like overall, I'm a decent speller, but that was because I was able to memorize things pretty well. But what about our kids who cannot memorize things so well, who don't put their nose in a book every chance they get and see words all the time to just kind of have a good visual memory of what words look like or how, you know, that word doesn't look like it's spelled correctly to me. So what happens to students like that? And why as a teacher am I at that time, probably 31 years old or so, going to a conference and learning how how to know if I use a C or a K at the beginning of a word or syllable that has the K sound. My mind was blown. I had no idea that there are literally rules for do you use a C or a K like cat or kite. No clue until I attended training. And to me, that was a problem. So we as teachers have to really do what we can, which you are, um, listening to a podcast, reading books, things like that to become better at understanding how language works. At the bottom of that very same page um, in the introduction, she says some special education teachers are not required to take any course in reading psychology or reading instruction, even though the large majority of their student caseload will have specific reading disabilities. And again, I think that's a problem. Why is it that even gen ed teachers don't have a good understanding of basic reading differences, um, much less even us as teachers, as special education teachers, having good, solid training in how to teach students to read, write, and spell? 
whether they have learning differences or not. For many of us who don't really know what to do, we use what's available. And what is available for most of us is a reading curriculum that is made for the average learner where you have a reading story, where you have a phonics skill, and that ties into your spelling usually, and writing and grammar and some of those things. And, and it really appears to have everything that you need and will get, get you by, you'll do okay um, by using that. You've got reading skills, you've got reading strategies, you've got things that you're gonna work on, and that's all well and good. But for some of our students with disabilities, in my mind, they should not be doing the spelling that you're doing with your gen ed students. Now, I know every student, every classroom, every school, they're different. So I'm going to say things based on what I think. And I hope that you have some like light bulb moments and like, hey, she's right here. She's exactly right. But I understand if different students, different circumstances, may not need the same things that I see in my students. Even the best reading textbooks or reading curriculum do not have every single thing for every single one of your students in your classroom or your caseload, whether we're talking gen ed or special ed. So I, as a special ed teacher, and you likely listening are probably a special ed teacher, and you're in the same boat. Do we reduce the classroom list? Do we give them an alternative list? What is the best solution? I can't tell you exactly what you should do for your students. I don't know them. I don't know your curriculum. I don't know the structure of your day. But I do have some questions that you can ask yourself and some tips to maybe help you get started in determining what your students need when it comes to spelling. Let's first start with five questions that you can ask yourself to help decide what's right for your students when it comes to textbook spelling or intervention spelling. Now, I don't want to tell you like, ask yourself these five questions and you're gonna have all the answers that you need to make a decision or to make a choice. I also don't even have like a, if your answer is this, then this is what you should do. Or if your answer is that, this is what you should do. But just some things to keep in mind. So question number one, do your students do well with memorization? Maybe if they can memorize a lot of those grade level words, they can kind of appear to be doing what their gen ed peers are doing. Um, maybe you need to help a little bit with that memorization, but maybe they can do okay to pass the test. That doesn't mean they're gonna remember the words, but it's okay for them to do the grade level words because they don't do too bad at memorizing the words from week to week. Question number two. What strengths and weaknesses cause the student to be identified for special education services? So that's a mouthful, but I want you to keep in mind that just because a child has been identified as special ed doesn't mean, oh, suddenly they need a reduced list. Or it doesn't mean that they don't need a reduced list because they qualified under this disability category or whatever. But just look at that child's specific strengths and weaknesses and decide what do they need based on that. That way you can start making some good choices based on real facts, real observations that you've seen instead of just like, oh, you're one of my kids now. We only do five words or we only do 10 words or we don't do the grade level list, we do this. 
don't make blanket decisions, I guess is what I'm really getting at there is look at their specific strengths and weaknesses and decide what they need from there. Question number three is really a big one for me, but also a very simple one for me. And it's just simply, what is the best use of their time? So if you were to pick, we, we first off, let's back up and say, we know there is never enough time in a day. So if you could pick how that child spent their time, what would they be doing? What are the most important things that like, if we get nothing else done today, it's going to be this, is memorizing words that they're really only going to know for a week um, or don't really understand all of the spelling rules or, or whatever, is that the best use of their time? Are they going to be able to retain that information for later? Would it be better to keep trucking along on a goal that's a little bit more appropriate for their reading level or their decoding level or their encoding level? So just be thinking of what is the best use of their time? Time is precious. Make the most of it. The fourth question for you to ask yourself is, are the words developmentally appropriate? And I don't mean the average first grader, the average second grader developmentally appropriate. I mean, are they within that child's zone of proximal learning? Is it close to what they can do right now? Is this really the next step? And maybe it is. And so keep doing grade level words. Maybe it's not. And you need to find something else that would better use their time. And that is more developmentally appropriate. The fifth question is one that honestly, I'm going to try really hard not to get on my soapbox about this, um, but it is, do the words follow a particular sequence? Um, a lot of times, if I were to say, I need for you to create a spelling list with 20 words that all have the long A sound, or 20 words that all have the long E sound spelled these three particular ways. You could find a lot of words, but that doesn't mean that your kids have all of the skills to spell all of those words. Um, recently, I was looking at a first grade spelling list, and I want to just read some of the words that were on the list. They were working at that time on beginning blends. So for me, beginning blends are pretty early on. They're pretty... Um, low on the list of complexity or difficulty. Um, and really, after my kids are learning CVC words, beginning blends are kind of the appropriate next step. So listen to the words on this list. Club, slug, plug, flip, slap, flesh, flash, flake, blade, plant, blanket. Before I start ripping this list apart, I'd like you to take a minute to think about what you think of those words. Now that you've had a little think time, maybe you even had to press pause, that's okay. Um, I want to tell you what I think of those words. If I were to choose a handful of words for my students to work on who were ready for beginning blends, I would choose the first five words. Club, slug, plug, flip, and slap. I think those would be appropriate. Those follow a CCVC pattern where it has two consonants at the beginning, a short vowel sound in the middle, and then a consonant at the end. So I really think those would be great words to choose for students who are actually working on beginning blends. The second half of the list is really where I feel like it falls apart. And 
maybe this is because in a gen ed room, you might be differentiating, you might be doing things and not all, not all students are working on all of those words. But if you're truly trying to teach students about beginning blends, I think throwing the shh diagraph in there for flesh and flash is too complicated. If students are trying to work on beginning blends, why do we have diagraphs in there? The sequence doesn't quite add up. The sequence doesn't quite make sense to me. In addition to that, then we also have flake and blade. And with those two words, they also have a magic E. They have a long A. So now students have three rules or three different spelling skills that they're kind of practicing all in one list. Now, later in the year, I would totally do this. If we had worked on the sh sound, the magic E sound, if we had done that, then this would totally be a list I would use. The problem was this was not at that point. It was early on in first grade. And we have kids who have never seen or mastered those diagraphs or those vowel teams. And what about plant? That has an ending blend, NT, which is incredibly hard for kids who are ready for that, much less throwing it into this random list of words. And the last word, blanket, geez louise, that has multiple syllables. Like that just, it's so complex. Students aren't ready for that. Um, some kids will be, and that's okay. Some kids could either memorize or this is review for them. They're higher level spellers and it might be more appropriate, but take a look at the list for your students and see what makes sense. And is there a sequence that the series follows so that you can say, okay, we've taught or learned about this. We've taught or learned about that. And this is the perfect place to throw it in for spiral review. Now, I started this episode telling you that I was really torn. Do I continue talking about spelling because that's what I said I was gonna do or do I talk a little bit about more decoding? And we know that they go hand in hand. We know that they are so closely related. They require a lot of the same skills. Um, deficits in some of those areas can lead to weaknesses in decoding and weaknesses in spelling. So I just felt like it was this big jumbled mess. And as I was kind of researching or going back through all of my books and all the things I've highlighted and all the things I put post-it notes on, um, I found where I had underlined this quote. It says, Spelling practice is even more effective than decoding experiences in establishing these spelling patterns in the brain. So if we are trying to help children understand the graphemes that go with particular phonemes, so the things that we write, like A-I or A-Y or A consonant E, if we're trying to teach children those visuals or those things to lock them in our brain, it is more effective to practice that through spelling than to practice that through decoding. If I have a 10 minute chunk of time, let's be honest, it's really probably more like eight minutes. So in that eight minutes of time, if I am trying to teach my students to recognize a particular grapheme, or let's just use a broader term, like I have 10 minutes or eight minutes to dedicate towards phonics, by teaching that phonics through spelling, 
it is more effective than if we blend random words or play a game where we're blending words or use a blending board or, or whatever. Not that any of those things are bad, but if I have to start making choices in my 30 minutes, how am I going to help them master this skill? I need to do it through spelling over decoding. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a place for decoding. In my mind, in a perfect world, we'd be doing both. We would be working on spelling, but we would also be then working on, hey, this is the, the graphing that we know. We've seen this AI. We've seen this BL. We've seen this magic E in our spelling words. This word looks a lot like our spelling words. And also blending it in real words, in real text that we're doing in our small group. Later in the chapter, it says these researchers have convincingly shown that having children practice spelling words is a great way to teach reading. But note, this does not mean merely asking students to memorize a spelling list. And to me, that's kind of the, the aha moment for me. That's the big takeaway. We cannot expect students to be good spellers if we never take the time to teach them why do we use this grapheme over that grapheme? How do we know when to use this instead of that? There are so many complex rules about spelling, half of which don't make any sense at all. And we have to teach our kids how to do that, how to make good choices, how to understand what to do. Just having them memorize a list with three different ways to make the long A sound, that's not really effective. Maybe it is for our gen ed kids, but I'd even question there. Do they really understand spelling? For me to sit in a training at 31 years old, passing every spelling test I've ever taken in my whole life and learning when to use the, the C or a K for the K sound, I'm sorry, but I think that's a problem. Even though I probably, according to every teacher I had in elementary school, was a great speller. I always did a good job. I always got 100%. And to me, one of the ways that we can combat that is to have spelling lists that make sense. I'd like to wrap up the podcast by reading a couple of research-based strategies for helping you as a teacher decide how, how can you best help your students. And these all come from, um, I call it the Hawthorne book, um, the pre-referral intervention manual, the prim, um, big red book that probably exists in every school, but is rarely used. Um, and there are a few things that I thought, you know what, these are just some really good, solid suggestions that we need to keep in mind. Some of them are like, duh, why would I not do that? Or duh, of course, that's what you would do. Um, but then some of them are like, hmm, okay. That's a great suggestion. So the first research-based strategy, and that we, we have to use research-based strategies in our instruction. One is practice one skill until it's mastered. So for me, I have two groups a day who were just working on reading and spelling CBC words. And so we're practicing one skill until it's mastered. I'm not going to throw them magic ease. I'm not going to throw them blends, or at least not on a regular basis, not on a spelling test, but we're practicing one skill until it's mastered. And to me, if we're saying that we should practice a skill until it's mastered, then I just can't 
can't even wrap my mind around giving them words that are so far above where they are developmentally. If we're trying to work on beginning blends, we can't throw all this other stuff at them. Another research-based strategy is to provide them or help them create their own list of spelling rules. So as you teach and as you're working on some of those things, help your children have like a cheat sheet of what, what those spelling rules are so that then they have something to reference later. Um, to me, one thing that comes to mind early on in the school year for my blends and diagraphs group, we talk about like double S's, double F's, double L's, double Z's, things like that, that are really great to have a poster or a little cheat sheet that they can keep in their planner or, or whatever. Um, to me, the CK rule, um, is it a C or is it a K? That's something that you can give your kids and they can keep it as a reference. So having a list of some of those rules so that they can refresh themselves. For some of them, they might be like, oh yeah, we, you know, the one, one, one rule, we have to double the S or we have to double the Z or, or whatever, but some may not. So having a list really helps them to just have something handy to refer back to. And going with that, another research-based strategy is wrapping the rule. Now, I'll do a lot of things, but I'm not really sure I'm going to be standing wrapping in my room, but it's a research-based strategy if you feel so called to wrap to your students. Um, even things like Jack Hartman videos, other things on YouTube that might sing those so that you can, you know, kind of appeal to different learners who that would be right up their alley. And in the middle of a spelling test, they're going to be over there wrapping whatever it is that you have said or done with your students to remind them of that rule. To appeal to that multi-sensory learner um, as well, you could also use sand or salt for practicing, whether it's just particular graphemes or the whole word in general practice in sand or in salt to help kind of really solidify and practice those rules. And one thing that I really, really love as I was skimming through, I do it and I don't even really know that that's what I'm doing. Um, but that is to find words in a text that fit that rule. So I do this a lot with my reading series and my small groups. Um, let's say we are working on magic e-words and we find as just part of our normal routine we find a couple of words and we highlight them and that's what we focus on we stretch those out um, but sometimes there are other magic e-words that just like didn't make the cut we only find two so there could really be six magic e-words throughout the text so i will sometimes depending on how much time we have ask my students to go look for other words that fit this rule. And maybe we circle them instead of highlight them or, or whatever, but have students look for words that also fit that rule. That could be in a magazine, it could be in your grade level story, it could be um, kind of as you previewing the text, whatever, but have them look for that rule so that then even they're training their brain to look for chunks of the word that they do know. Now, I really hope I have not scared you to death from this big mama topic. I wanted to start fairly light. What can you do to help your students become better spellers? What things do you need to consider or questions you need to ask yourself or your team when it comes to what are we going to do in regards to spelling? What makes sense for our kids? 
No spelling or reading curriculum, nothing out there is 100% perfect for every single one of your students. And so that requires you to know what they need so that you can begin finding that for them. In the show notes, I will share a link for you to get um, uh, five weeks of spelling lists that I use with my students. I think they're a little more developmentally appropriate. They follow a good sequence. And I'm not saying they're perfect for every single one of your students. But if you have some lower level students who are working on basic decoding, these tie right into that so that your children can learn some of those graphemes while spelling words that make sense for them. Now, as you leave this episode and wait for the next one to drop, I want you to think about what your students need from you. Do they need help mastering the grade level spelling list? Is it appropriate? Is it a good use of their time? Do they need an alternative? There's no right answer. There's no one size fits all. And don't do what you've always done. Um, Maybe this group is able to do the grade level list, but this group really needs something else or that group needs a combination of the two. Get creative so that you can feel good about knowing that you're giving your students exactly what they need. In next week's episode, we'll be talking all about phonemes and graphemes. So I can't wait to talk to you then. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.